This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. Eternalizing the memory of the Holocaust is a sanctified deed. We must never forget. That's why every new initiative that further enriches the plethora of documented memories is a blessed one. Today, we gather to celebrate one such initiative, an especially special one, one that breathes life into a topic that is so saturated in death. A beautiful new book called Honey, Cake, and Latkes. Recipes from the Old World by the Auschwitz-Birkenau Survivors by author Maria Zalewska and 120 survivors who share their favorite recipes. Today, we're joined by Maria, the author of the book, and Tova, a survivor who took part in the initiative. Maria is the executive director of the Auschwitz-Birkenau Memorial Foundation. Tova Friedman was born in Poland. When she was just five years old, she was forced to endure the horrors of the Nazis at Auschwitz-Birkenau. She and her mother managed to survive and were liberated by the Soviets in 1945. We are honored to have them on the show today to talk about the new book and about Tova's amazing life story. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Any correction to the Tova, to the intro? Go ahead. Did you have any questions? No, not yet. Okay, <laughs> okay. Spot questions. on. Okay. okay. <laughs> so let's start to, uh, from you, Maria. Like, how did this initiative come to be? Yes, yeah, so t- first of all, I do have a correction because I think when you're talking about anthologies like this one, uh, the question of authorship, you know, the recipes are all written by survivors. I was the editor of the book. I wouldn't dare to call myself the author of the book. So uh, <laughs> I'm the editor of the book. So to think back to to the origin of the story, we have to go back in time to the pre-COVID world uh, and actually to January 2020, um, to the 75th liberation anniversary of liberation of Auschwitz. Um, that is when our foundation, the Auschwitz-Birkenau Memorial Foundation, under the leadership of uh, Ronald Lauder, brought a group of 120 survivors from North America, from the U.S., from Canada, but also from South America, from Australia, uh, from from Sweden, from a couple of countries in Europe. Um, this delegation brought all the survivors to to Auschwitz. For many survivors, this was the first time they came to visit the remains of the camp since World War II. And for many of them, this was the very last time they went. And the reason why I always talk about this trip as a sort of part of the Genesis story for this cookbook is because we really bonded um, during that week. Uh, we knew each other, uh, survivors knew each other, but I think that those couple of days together really allowed us to go beyond the sort of more superficial and very formal way of interacting. And I think we, uh, I think a friendship was formed. And 
trust. And we always talk about trust when we talk about memory and when we talk about testimonies. Um, there are many different ways to talk to survivors, but I think once there is trust and, and mutual respect and this belief that whoever survivors are talking to will convey their memories and stories with, with dignity and love, I think that's when you have something special. So that was the beginning. And then COVID happened and we were all mortified. I mean, you know, we all stayed at home and our foundation decided to keep on connecting with survivors and um, Ambassador Lauder um, hosted bi-monthly Zoom events and during one of such Zoom calls, it was Passover yeah. 2020 and he casually, it was a very nice and formal chat just like the one we're having now and he just said um, you know, what, what, what are you cooking this year and what's do you have a good gefilte fish recipe? Because, you know, my grandma made one that, that I, I don't know how to recreate and who adds sugar, who, who doesn't. And it just became this conversation. And then after this Zoom call, I said, okay, so send me your gefilte fish recipes. And after the call, we received, you know, over 20 gefilte fish recipes. And uh, we didn't want to have a, a gefilte fish cookbook, but we realized that we had something special on our hands. So this was how it book came to be. And then over the course of the pandemic, our foundation conducted interviews and that was it. Okay. You know, you said something interesting in the beginning. Mem uh, we can't forget or we shouldn't forget, but the younger generation is forgetting. Um, I'm very lucky that I have grandchildren who remember and are very active. And I, okay. But you know, memories come in many, many different ways. Uh, we all know if you come into a house and you smell something that's good, food, the memory of the person is connected to that. And I think that some of us, I, not so much myself because I was a very, very young survivor, but um, after the war, of course, my mother cooked some of the recipes from her, from her home and she lost every single person. She lost 150 people. So that anything that she made that brought back the smell and the taste of home, in a sense, kept their memory alive. And I think this is what this book tried to do. The recipes are extremely simple. It was pre, pre um, I can't say pre-electricity. My mother only used a fork and a knife. And a, and a wooden bowl. That was, that's all we cooked with. And the food was delicious, you know. It took five minutes to take them out and five minutes to wash them. We didn't have all that stuff. And this is what makes, I think, the very, when I look at the cookbook, most of it, you could do it in your, in your kitchen with the ingredients you have because what it does, it brings back, it's not only the food, it's the people connected to them. So this is why it makes it. I myself looked at some of the things this morning, and I looked at a recipe called Gogol Mogul. My mother used to give it to me. I'm sure in Israel, maybe you know. In America, nobody knows what it is. But I told it to my children, and they were so excited. I haven't made it yet, but I will. All it takes is two raw eggs and sugar. This is the whole big deal, a little bit of of milk and a little bit of, of uh, some essence of vanilla. You've got, but you know what I have? 
I have the memory of my childhood. Gogol Mogul is my childhood. So that this is what this book is so great. And um, I myself am lucky that I, I was also able to write my memoirs, which I'm going to show. Not that you're going to see it because it's, you know, I'm just talking. So here, it's me and my mom. Which the daughter was, of Auschwitz. Yeah, daughter of Auschwitz, which which is Gogol Mogul time. It's, that was, I was eight years old. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, but, but, but Tova, we got to explain the audience. What's the, per, like, what's the essence and the purpose of Gogol Mogul, right? Because it's, a me- it's medicine. It's love. It's all it is. And probably if you're not careful, you can get sick because it's raw eggs. So I'm not sure, you know, you got to make sure the eggs are fresh and you don't get yes. any kind of salmonella or something. The purpose, right. Gogol Mogul is pure love because it is sugar and and probably very very unhealthy but it, it doesn't matter but you when know? you had sore throat essentially and it yeah, that's before people like you know i just recently read it's it's fascinating people don't remember this but um the, penicillin was invented during the war the mm. americans and the british had it the germans didn't so many many german soldiers actually died from uh from infections because they didn't have the technology but anyway uh, if only they had Google mogul yeah if only they had Google mogul maybe they'd, they'd, they'd make it but <laughs> or, or chicken soup then or chicken that, soup by the way <laughs> I want to tell you something interesting about food in general during World War two um, they they no matter how how terrible the blitz was and all the problems they would every person had enough money for tea Because Churchill said, if there is tea, there is hope. Food. Connect seriously. That, that was his motto. You have tea, you have hope. That's I British think it's motto so, for thousands of for years. For basically everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's, there's something so powerful about it because of the fact that taste and smell is one of the most powerful ways to preserve. Like, sometimes you have those aromas of either food or even just, you know, My grandmother's perfume I, I like I'll I'll remember it until the day I die and the truth is my grandmother passed away um, may she rest in peace she passed away about a, a year and a half ago and my mother started cooking her food recently and through that really it, it almost I almost feel like I'm in my grandmother's home every time I go to my mother's home and I eat that food that she started cooking it's you know it's like it's like she She eternalized her. Um, and I think that that's... That's excellent. That's really right. My, we used to eat kashavanishkas. That's in my book. My daughter made kashavanishkas this holiday, this Rosh Hashanah. So she looked, she, we had this, I said, oh, kashavanishkas. I am in my 80s, and yet I go back. Yeah. I go back to my home. So this is what this book is about. <laughs> this book is really not... only food this is home this is going back and it's very nice the fact that that uh, the idea basically I like Maria because when you cook a recipe from the book you a get amazing food B get to learn some history and C commemorate those who who didn't make it basically and those who made it and are no longer with us 
So th those are very powerful things to, you know, in one single action, which is cooking dinner. Yeah, I, and to Tova's point, I think, you know, um, as Ambassador Lauder actually says in his foreword, I, I, I always go back to the sentence, you cannot wear your ancestors' clothes. Uh, there's there is a limited number of ways in which you can truly connect to their lived uh, to their exp to the experience of their lived life. Food and and sort of family recipes passed down are one of right. the ways in which we can do that. And you know, a challah baked in 2022 in Brooklyn looks and tastes the same way that it did baked in 1922 in Warsaw. So it's also this this very timeless thing. But um, I think that um, it's this book. Of course, there are recipes, but every recipe is accompanied by a by a story, by by a memory shared by a survivor about the particular recipe. And uh, there is a testimonial value to this book because for many survivors who passed away during COVID, this was the very last time they shared their memories. And it was an interesting experience. I think even with Tova, I had an interesting moment because we were talking about food and cooking. And she mentioned to me that these are not the usual questions asked when she's talking about World War II memories and, and her experience. And um, I hope you will be okay with me sharing a story Actually, you shared with me. My, 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 life is an, <laughs> my life is an open book. Literally, literally a book. <laughs> so it... You know, because some of the some of the recipes here are pre-war um, memories. Like uh, one of the one of the survivors, Ben uh, Lesser, uh, he re he remembers a beautiful orchard that belonged to his grandfather in Munkaj, and he talks about picking fruit. So this is a very sort of full of full of colors, full of as you mentioned memories and fragrances from your childhood that always stay with us till the very end and. For some people, those memories of textures and flavors and scents are the last ones to to go because they're so sort of intense and sort of but primal. Right? What what makes it? You're right. It brings the past. Yeah. But for me, it's more important that it carries to the future. Yeah. I have eight grandchildren, and I'm, I'm not the best cook in the world, not at all. But I do five things that my kids think I'm the best cook because that's all I make. So I make a filter fish every Friday, and when I can't make it, oh, you didn't make it this week. No, maybe next week. And So I, they don't know that I can't make any other fish. That's the only fish I know how to no, make. they will know. You know? <laughs> no, 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 they, they will know. No, I don't know if they listen to this. <laughs> and then, and then, and then uh, uh, the chicken soup is the best I ever had, which is I've been making it for about 50 years, my mother's chicken soup. In other words, not only does it tie us to the past, it ties us to the future. The TikTok I mean, generation. That's the only way you get them out of TikTok. Oh, did you? How do you know about TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> like the only way you get them out is like the, the, there's gefilte fish and TikTok and then and then gefilte fish wins. But otherwise, it's TikTok that wins. Do you know I'm on TikTok? You know? You're on TikTok? Oh, are you oh, kidding? Tova is a, a very popular on TikTok. Yeah. Uh, millions of people are watching me. Uh, my grandson, who's 17 put me on TikTok because that's what he does. He did it for his classroom. And people were so interested, the kids, just the kids. So that I am, yesterday I made five tapes 
Uh, I am on TikTok yeah. all the time, and it's connecting to the what? young people. But you know what? I never talked about food. I will now. Yeah, you Next have to. You have to do some TikToks about food. But wait, what? How do we find you on TikTok? How do, how do people find you on TikTok? My name Tova Friedman. Yes, and my oh my grandson uh, is is Aaron Goodman. He oh, he did it. He did it for his kids, for his friends in school. He said to me, oh, Sapta, I'm a Sapta. He said, maybe 10, 20 people are going to listen to you. In about, I don't know, 10 days, there were 5,000. Then there were 10,000. At one time, there were millions all about the Holocaust. But now I'll bring Jewish food in too. So I got to ask you, because I, I, I think also one of the most powerful things about this is that it kind of fights back against the stigma of food and the Holocaust. But I do want to talk to that stigma and, and maybe ask you about it, because I assume that when you're asked about food and the Holocaust, the first thing that comes to mind isn't necessarily these rich, you know, um, delicious recipes, but, but darker memories. Is that so, or it's the human beings in my head, my my, yeah. my the stories that my mother told me about her family that I never met. But, but I think that this you know is... you're pointing to a certain taboo that we address in the very opening lines of the book. That uh, seemingly thinking about food in the context of Auschwitz seems like I think we don't... Uh, Ambassador Lauder says even like a like a dark. Uh, almost uh, uh, a cruel joke and he says but yet this is not what this is about this is a story of hope and then you know we have very different types of recipes some of them are from the times of the war uh, one of the survivors um, talks about how recalling recounting her recipes in the camp helped her to get through some of the dark times but they're very different stories also pre-war but also post-war using cooking as a way of processing the trauma of of war one of the survivors goldie finkelstein she in a way overcooked for her family because she um perceived abundance and a lot of food and giving and sharing as the 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 opposite to hunger scarcity death so after the war she she fed her family um you know she was sort of she was an amazing cook, but her son recalls all the stories how she finished every meal with a big cake. Nobody went home hungry. So there was this sort of interesting way of using food as a way of processing trauma. So I think, you know, the the variety of, of stories shared here address it. Um, 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 this, this, this very nuanced way in which we can think about food in the context of war. You know, um, in Theresa... In Theresienstadt, I heard, um, that's not from my experience, in Auschwitz I was five five and a half years old, so I, I wouldn't know that, but I heard people would sit around and just talk about the food they ate at home, and that sustained them because it gave them hope that somewhere, someplace, they will come, they will meet their family again. You know, I, I could almost hear it. They would say, it in, I'm a Yiddish speaker, and I could almost hear the Yiddish, Gedegs, do you remember such and such and such and such? And as they were talking, it's the food 
combined with the people who made them. Maybe they're somewhere, and one day they'll eat it again with the same people. So that's um, a very, very, very emotional attachment, food and human yes. beings. I want to ask you, Tova, I want to get a bit to Tova's story. But before that, just one quick question, like, to, to Tova, what's your favorite recipe from the book that isn't yours, obviously? From the book that yeah. isn't yours. Goggle moggle, I'm making it, I'm going to make it tomorrow. Okay, okay. I, 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 okay. It's done a little differently from the way I did. Yeah. And that's number one. Number two, that I thought some of the cakes yes. were simple and looked... By the way, the cakes, everything tastes as good as it looks because mm-hmm. I had a chance to taste some of the foods. Fabulous. And the honey cake, mm-hmm. I would say the honey cakes one of the, is one of my favorite. And I'm going to try it because it's simple. So can you tell us a bit about your life? Like, when were you born? Where were you born? What's your first memories from before the war? Uh, okay. My first memories were in a ghetto. I've been... Let me summarize it for you. I've been to three places. Many people were many more places. But the first place was a ghetto in a town called Tomasov Mazovetsky, which is a... about, um, I would say, about a half hour from Lodz, 45 minutes, central Poland. That's where my parents, uh, I wasn't born there, but my parents were, their parents, and my grandparents. Many generations of Hasidim. Uh, we were from the Gera Hasidim, my mother was, and I was born in Danzig. Are you familiar with Danzig? Yes. Okay, many people are, and I'm so glad you are. But I was born in a Polish section called Gdynia. And from there, we went back to our hometown when the war started in 1940. Uh, I was about uh, maybe 38. I was born in 38, so I was very young. And my first memory is of the ghetto in a very crowded, very, very crowded place. There was no room, and I had to be under the table. Uh, also for safety and also for space-wise. And uh, my grandmother was shot. You see, I grew up thinking from the time I could remember that being Jewish and being a child means being killed. I'm not sure I knew exactly what death was. I don't think any of us know, even us, you know, now. I still don't know. But, but uh, the sense that this is... It goes together with who I am. My identity was a Jewish child, and I'm just going to die as soon as possible. The only question is when, and every day it was lucky that I didn't die, that I didn't go on the selection. You're familiar with the selections, right? Okay. Yes. So, so this is my first memory of a lot of marching of boots outside, a lot of shooting, You had um, brothers, sisters, well, and the, what, what did your father do? Oh, oh my, father, my father at that time had joined the police people. There were two or three of them, and he wrote a beautiful story telling us what he, was, what he had to do. The job of the police was to keep people in, in line, get them onto the train. The Jewish police? Yeah, Yiddish, Jewish police. Yeah, and he, was, he wrote that he was crying. It's a beautiful story. 
you can read it in the book, crying all the time because they try to make it as easy as possible for them. And when he once picked up a child whilst, that he knew, he knew the child and he knew the parents, and he picked up and he was hit so badly that he had to come home all bloody and one of his co-person was killed, uh, another person. He did it for about less than a year. And he, there was no pay, like another half a piece of, another some bread, and uh, and my mo- and I and my mother, uh, we did a lot of what's called uh, 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 taking the clothing of the dead people that were taken on the on the train to Treblinka, and 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 organizing organizing them. In, in, in sizes and colors. So they were sending them to Germany. They were cleaning all the... They were reusing the, the clothing. And after that, most people were sent to Treblinka and 36 people were left, which is an interesting number. My father says it was 36 people. You didn't and have sisters people- or brothers? Died. No, I didn't have any, but all of my fathers and, mo- and my mothers were killed. My father came in one day and he said, I had to put them on a truck. They, he had taken his parents, put them on the truck, and they were going to be shot. They were going to be shot. And I remember him crying because he knew. You see, this is the thing. They knew what was going on. So he, he um, uh, because the young people were, were uh, they, they, they dug the graves. See, you know more than most people from Israelis. You, 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 you've lived, you've heard this in Yad Vashem, you've seen it. They, 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 they dug the, uh, the trenches, the graves. Yes. And that's where my yes. father told my mother while I was standing there listening, I just put them on the truck. And, and he knew, and I knew I'll never see them again. And then one day he came in, he said, you'll never see your uncle again. And I never saw anybody again. Never saw anybody. Even after the war, you know, nobody, very few people came back. So I I, I was left, lucky we had no other children. We would have never been able to make it. And after that, the 36 people were left to clean up. My mother, my father, myself went from house to house to cover up. Because you know the motto was leave no traces, leave no witnesses, leave no traces. So before we went to the next camp, which was Starchovitsa, which was a labor camp, we had to clean up all of of, of our town, our our uh, our ghetto. And that's when and and the next place we were sure we'd be killed by then. Thirty six left, by the way. There were 15,000 people in the beginning of the war, 15,000 Jews in my town, 200 came back, 200, and five children came back. I am number five. I'm the youngest. So nobody left. That was the first ghetto, and then... That was the ghetto, and then we went to a labor camp where my parents were from morning to night in, in, in factory, in a... In a um, ammunition factory and that's Uh when another selection came another selection and that's when I was hidden and because I was hidden all the kids were taken away 
Sorry. Where did they hide you? Oh, in a in an avoidum, a a um, attic. <laughs> an attic, yes, a crawl space, I guess. Yeah. And then I had to be in a in a closed room by myself for weeks, until they liquidated that ghetto and we everybody went to Auschwitz. I was my father went to Dachau, and I and my mother went to Auschwitz. I was five and a half, and I was there. Until liberation, stayed there all the time. First with my mother, then by myself, in the in the gypsy camp because they killed all the gypsies. And you know all kinds of stuff happened to kids like us, all kinds of things to my mother, to me. I mean, it's it's it's. Sorry. You remember everything essentially. Well, I'll tell you how I remember it. In the beginning, I was with my mother, and she talked to me all the time, because she thought that if she tells me how dangerous it was, I'll behave well. I'll know what to do. So when she said to me, don't run, she said, the dogs, the German shepherd, you know, they were my height. She said, they are only a trade to kill if you run, so you have to be stand very still when you see a German shepherd. That's what I did. In other words, so I remember everything because she told me so much. She told me so much. And then uh, when then I was separated, it was a different story. And the only, then they took us, I, I don't know the date. That's the problem. And I can't find out the date. And my mother wasn't with me, so we don't know how many dates. But they took us to the gas chamber, all the children whoever was left. And then they sent us back, and we never know why. Just don't know why, don't know the day. You were inside? No they put you inside, and then they took you yeah, out? Not, not they, in the waiting room. When you walked in, there was this gigantic waiting room with, like, yeah. hooks all around for clothing, and the hooks had numbers. Oh, by the way, I was tattooed also. When I first came to the ch- not with my mother, I was tattooed when I was taken away from her, and mm-hmm. and you know, I, and, and they said no more name. You don't have a name. You don't have a name. Uh, by the way, I never used my Polish name. At that time, the woman who tattooed me said, "Forget your name," and I said to myself, "I will." So I never. It, do you know my children? When they saw this book. And they, my grandchildren said, they got your name wrong. I thought your name was Tova. Because they didn't know me by my Polish name. First I forgot my name because I had to. Then I forgot my name because I wanted to. The Polish name was Tola. So Tola, it's very yeah, I don't want to even mention it. Yeah. yeah, I have a Polish name that I absolutely despise. And did you speak Polish and German? And German too? I can't remember a single word. We went back to Poland after the war. After I, uh, the, okay, so the way I survived, my mother hit me with a with a corpse, and they wow. came checking and checking. And, and I wait, was you reunited in. with your mother? Uh, yes, she had another corpse. She came up. You see, at the end of the war, it was Tohova Vohu Bedlam. Everybody yes. was running around. Some of the Germans were taking off their, their clothing and put on, you know, they're taking off the uniforms 
and they put on other clothing. So so they ran around, and so all the, my mother showed up, and she said to me, listen, they are taking everybody, they're taking us to Germany. No way, I can't walk, I'm going to die. Then she looked at me, she said, you know what, you may survive. You should not survive by yourself in a world like this. This is not a world for children. And she said, will you die with me in Auschwitz? I said, yes. So she took my hand. We went out of the barrack. She found an infirmary. Most people had were dead already in the, in the beds. She found a corpse that she liked. She tucked me in there. She took another one. And we stayed there until they left the camp. And that's how we made it to the very end. When the, till the, till we, we stayed there till the Russians came. Because others went to the marches, right? Everybody, thousands and thousands. And that's why we could get away because I remember walking out of the barrack. I was six and a half already. I had my sixth birthday in Auschwitz. They were shooting, people were running, and people were falling because they were trying to get the people into the, you know, to, to go a line. They had all the, they had the march in, in the center of the camp. And everybody else, that's how, it was such a, such a mess that we could get out and we could hide and find an infirmary. Otherwise, we could have just walked out like that. So you and your mother found an infirmary, hid? Yes, she did. I, I, she must have known about it. I know nothing about it. But you hid, you hid, amongst, you hid amongst the corpses until yeah. the Soviets came and liberated the camp, which was how long? How long we were in the corpse? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't think it was very... It was until they set the place on fire. Don't forget, before they left, they set everything on fire. There should be no witnesses. Until I smelled the smoke and I still didn't get uncovered, I would have died there. Because my mother said, don't get uncovered. And I obeyed. Don't get uncovered. No matter what happens... So I didn't see anything, but I began choking. And all of a sudden, she took off the covers, and I say, <laughs> she talked to me in Yiddish already. They are gone, she said. And it was, you know, and everybody got out of the... There were lots of people who hid it with corpses. And all these corpses were flying off the beds because they were pushed. I remember looking around, and there were all these corpses flying on the floor... They were, they were pushed by the people who hid under them or with them. Wow. wow. And then we walked out and everybody was walking until a day or two later, I think. I don't know. This is very unclear to me. I think it was some time. I don't know how long the Russians came. So we were there till the very end. So these kind of memories, you can't forget that. You know, I'm sure there are things I don't remember. But those, when I, you know, when I got the number, for instance, it was a lovely woman. She was lovely because she didn't look, she looked young. She was like, um, I would say now, I would say she's 18, now. But then she was much older, but yet younger than my mother. So I got an idea how old she was. And she, and, and she was putting the number and saying to me, I'm going to give you a very, very neat number. So one day, if you survive, you get a long sleeve shirt. You cover it up, 
and you won't be embarrassed. Now she, I'm only maybe five and a half years old, and I said to myself, oh, I'm going to survive. Whatever that was, I'm going to be here to cover up my number. I remember that. So you, you, she, gave, she really gave you a, air quote, good number? A beautiful number. Seriously. It's very neat. But she said to me, what's your name? I said, and she said, forget your name. It's 27,633. But I couldn't count. And I didn't know what that was. I'd never been to school. But I heard it. And I remember she said to me, if they call this number and you don't answer, they may kill you. Something like that. Mm-hmm. To me, it was normal. If I don't follow the rules, I'll be killed. I'm going to follow the rules. Because my mother always taught me to follow rules. So I walked around saying, 27,633. I didn't know which one was the two, which is the 33. I didn't, I, I didn't connect it. I just had that, that word that stuck in my head. I had to. You, you, you did what you had to. Yeah. And that's what my mother taught me. You do what you have to in order to live. You don't ask any questions. You obey. And I did. Do you remember when you started realizing that the nightmare was over? Or... You know, that's... <laughs> I only realized it when the Russians came and they started... open up like a like a bakery like for their soldiers they made food a lot of food and I smelled bread baking for the first time and I had my own loaf this size and I remember hugging it and I mean this was mine it was I wasn't interested in freedom what did I know freedom I wanted to eat I hadn't eaten I, and I never had the smell of bread I didn't know what it was You know, and that's when, and also, I realized that the people who came in with the different uniforms, they weren't so frightening. They, they, they had guns, but they weren't, except after a while, they were frightening, by the way, I must tell you that. The, Ru- the Russians, you're talking about the Russians. Yeah, the Soviets began to, I didn't know then, I just saw them. My mother told me they're drinking. I didn't know what drinking was, so you drink. We're so happy to drink. And then she, we were afraid to sleep there. At night she'd wake me up and she said, we got to run to a different barrack. And I'd say, why are we running? These people just gave us all this food and they're so wonderful. We, we began to hide because situations really deteriorated. And that's when the, the Red Cross came and gave us a piece, like a little piece of paper. And uh, it was like a pass for traveling. And we, we left the camp to go, to go home. Your mother um, sounds from the bit you told. What was her name, by the way? My, my Polish name? Your mother's name. Oh, my mother's, mother's name. name. My mother's name was Ruzia in Polish. She changed it to Ro, I mean Rose in English, Ruja. She sounds very, how would I say it, like, like the, 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 the she, very innovative, right? Like, uh, you know, 
you know there's this there's this reality TV show I don't know if you know it naked and uh, and afraid have you heard about it it's about this uh, reality TV show now today in the TV so it's a TV show where basically it's a reality TV show when they every episode they drop two survivalists in an island they are yeah. naked completely naked and they have nothing and their mission in the TV show is to survive and uh, survive this this very so you know so there are people who are not us obviously who are like the survival instinct and the dexterity and the and the creativity it's so and those are the people who who made it I, I guess exactly it was like when we got undressed for instance when we got off the 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 uh when when we got out of the um uh, trains uh i saw the the only thing i was frightened to death were of the dogs and she i remember she said to me don't have any eye contact with the soldiers don't look at them don't look into their eyes don't, they shouldn't notice you you shouldn't get to know them don't look at them and i never did but where did she get did you ever ask her mother how did you how did you manage to have the the wisdom of getting us out of there where did you get those skills those amazing survival skills did you ever ha- ask her that help my mother yes yes unfortunately those survival skills only lasted until we came to America and I was safe We, I was 11 and a half after the displaced people's camp and after a sanatorium because I had TB. While she had to save me, she had just powers that's hard to even understand. But after that, she, she collapsed and she died mm-hmm. at 45. She didn't want to mm-hmm. live. When she re- you know what she used to talk to me about in Auschwitz? Uh, no, not in Auschwitz, after Auschwitz. When the Russians came, she'd say to me, "You know, you don't know what family you have. You, you, you will meet your grandparents. Can you imagine she still live with the illusion? She's going home. She's going home, and everybody's going to be there. She's going home. She said, "You have cousins. She had nine brothers and sisters. They all were Orthodox. They had children, maybe a hundred children among them. grandchildren she said you're going to meet your cousins and you never oh my god she says you will be so happy you will see who you who, where you come from you, she said to me you will understand your roots not a single person came back no she did religion we had kosher but it wasn't in her heart anymore It wasn't in her heart. She, she said, if the best, those who loved God, those, you see, she didn't wear a shaitl. You know what I mean, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a wig, because she was a modern uh, Orthodox Jew in Poland, which wasn't easy to be. And she said, if all those other people who were so Orthodox, her sisters, her brothers... Her parents or the father died before the war. her mother they were all killed. What's the purpose of it all? And she never talked against God, but she never spoke for God. We did I never went to shul. 
She never went to shul. We had kosher. The holidays were very, very sad. Very sad. No, just nothing. Just, just, just nothing. We lived in Brooklyn, and then one day she went to sleep, and she didn't wake up. And what happened to you after she passed away? You want my history? I, I, I went to California. I decided to be a hippie. My father left also. My father left because he decided to go to Israel, to, to, and he met a woman there, and he married her, a wonderful woman. But me, I said, well, here's, let's see what, how, the, how the non-Jewish world lives. I've been a Jew long enough. So I went, I hitched, I hitched to San Diego. I had a friend there, but they were beginning with a drug scene, and it just wasn't for me. So I went to a rabbi in Hillel, and he says to me, what does a nice Jewish girl from Brooklyn doing here? Go home. So I went home, and I found a place to live with other people. I went to an organization. They took care of me until I got married. Wow. You know? So if I can ask you, when was the first time that you cooked something after the war from, from, the, old, from the old world? What is the first time I cooked? After the war, yeah. The first, the first time you cooked something from the old Chicken world. soup. Oh, no, gefilte fish. I'm sorry, gefilte fish. My mother said, you got to learn to make gefilte fish. And we live in Brooklyn. So we, I still have a bowl, by the way. I still have it in my house. So yeah, yeah, yeah. a big bowl, which I still have, it's wooden, with a achak messe. It's a thing that, you know, you go like that. And she get all the different type of fish. Not the way you buy now in a jar or whatever. We mixed it all up, different three type of fish. And she would stand there and say, Shitarain, put in salt, put in sugar, put in cibolus. Yes. And, and I did it every Friday night until she died. And I became an expert in gefilte fish from the time I was 12. So that's my, my kids, my grandkids still say, we got to have your real gefilte fish. Go somewhere. I have to go somewhere. You know, not so easy in New Jersey. You have to go to Brooklyn somewhere to get the... the uh, Israel is not a problem. So, so your recipe in the book is the gefilte fish? My gefilte fish, but I looked at the book and I used some of the ingredients. I added a little bit from the book. You know, there so many, I think two, there's two or three recipes from the gefilte fish. They're asking which recipes of yours are in the book. Oh, which, my recipes, mm -hmm. mine. Okay, yeah. gefilte fish was the first. Then I make, I make a, a, a very good simis. Just dessert, sweet, you know. You, that's in the book. That's yeah. in a book. Mm -hmm. And Simis for, for our non-Jewish audience, it's... A carrot and for some of our Jewish audience. and for some of the Jewish uh, the Mizrahi the Mizrahi this guy. the Moroccan <laughs> Jews. <laughs> What's Tzimis? So Tzimis, <laughs> ah, you don't know. Hey, don't ah, know Ethan doesn't is. know what Tzimis. That's <laughs> yeah. Ethan is uh, <laughs> three quarters Moroccan. He's Moroccan. So uh, Tzimis is a is a sweet carrot dessert. Uh, more than carrots, all kinds of prunes. Yeah, you get a dried dried fruit. Even. Honey, a lot of honey. It's a, like a salad? Yeah. Like kinda. a sweet no, the carrot, carrot is, and raisin? Yeah, and salad. the carrot is, is cooked and uh, ah, okay, it's so soft, no. very soft. Do you know what kasha vanishk is? 
Is that Kishke? Vanishkes is a... Vanishkes is, is, is the, is the, like, uh, the, the, the dumplings, no? Varenishkes. Where you're from originally? Polish half Romanian. Romanian. Well, if you're Polish, you should know Kasia Vanishkes. <laughs> it's, it's look it up it? on the internet. Or I'll ma- show you a photo. Oh, he has the book? I'll show the Oh, he'll yeah. show you the yeah. photo. It okay. is uh, Kasia. You know what Kasia is? You no. Don't, you don't eat oh. kasha? <laughs> kasha? What's kasha? Kasha. 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 K-A-S-H-A. Are you married? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I guarantee you my wife doesn't know what kasha Uh-oh. is. It's really healthy. And, it, and it's delicious. It's and it's amazing. delicious. What is it then? A, a groats. I don't know how to say kasha in Hebrew. Yes. Uh, okay. But it's like buckwheat, buckwheat, buckwheat. Oh, okay, okay. So it's kasha, pasta, and mushrooms. It's pasta with grains, basically. It's a grain. It's a very healthy grain. Better than rice. And it's with, with mushrooms and onions. It's It's really... You would call it picante. You know that word? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Hot. Hot. Uh, I have to ask you one thing, Tova. Like, but now, looking back, what is your relation with Germans, with the German language? Oh, don't ask me that. It's very hard for me. I just wrote, I wrote this book and it's translated into German. I have a hard time with, you know, I feel a little guilty that I don't even like the modern German, and I know the modern German is so much nicer and better than the horrible Germans that we knew. You're talking about the people or the language? Everything. I put it all together. Food. I don't even like the strudel. But everything. I have trouble with German. German shepherds. I can't go near a German shepherd. What is a poor animal? Animal is not at fault. When I see a yeah. German shepherd in my neighborhood, I cross the street. Yeah. It's psychological. I know so you never set foot there. You, you would never set foot there. I don't know. I never, you know, I'm 84 and I'm, cha- I'm still changing. So don't believe that elderly can't change. I still... You're, on think- t- you're a TikTok star. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I think differently uh... now than I used to think years ago. Look what the Germans did. They helped Israel. They helped so much. They gave money. They built up Israel. They, they give Wiedergutmachung to, to people who live there. But they had, an, they inter- they had an interest. They had an interest. It wasn't selfless. It wasn't selfless. They have an interest, you mean. They feel guilty. Well, some people the feel one. guilty and don't do anything yeah. about it. The Polish do nothing. They say they didn't do anything. They weren't there. Do you know that in Poland, the entire country was not there? They were on vacation in Paris. Did you know that? Of course. Of course. Of course. They, they traveled course. somewhere. When I went to Poland and I met somebody that age years ago, she said to me, oh, I wasn't here. She was about my age, maybe a little bit, five or six years older. Doesn't know anything about Auschwitz. She was only 10 miles from Auschwitz. She wasn't in yeah. town. No Pole was in town. At least the Germans don't say that. They don't say that. 
They really say that they feel guilty and terrible. They do. So I don't know. It's. I hope I don't. I don't want to be tested. Okay. I. I, I don't want. I. I don't want any temptation to go to Germany or be tested. I don't know what I'll do. Okay. Um, I have one last question. Uh, can you tell us? Uh, it's a, it's a sad question, but you talked. You mentioned it, so I have to ask. That sixth birthday in Auschwitz. Can you dis- can you tell us how that. W- How that was oh my sixth birthday how, how did I know I had a birthday I hardly know my name uh, I get a little packet a little packet material made out of material and inside is something very special and outside it's written in Polish which I could not read somebody read to me and it said happy birthday I said six I have six today. And inside was a piece of bread. Now, my personality is such that my life is always good. It may be worse tomorrow, but today I'm fine. No matter how terrible it is, I'm fine. Tomorrow it'll be worse. So I thought, I can't eat this bread. I'm going to eat it when I'm dying. Because one of my co-person I slept with died from starvation. So I knew about starvation. I said, I'm going to eat... Just as I'm dying from starvation, I'll eat that bread. It was a gift from my mother. But I didn't know that bread gets stale. Or you can't just... So, but I hid it under my clothes. Nobody should take it away. In the middle of the night, rats that size came and ate up the whole bread. I didn't even taste it. They tore my clothes. The bread was gone, but they didn't scratch me. There was no mark on me. I could have died from some kind of a disease. You know, there were rats from the sewer. Sewer in Auschwitz. What could be worse? So I never even ate my present. So now I eat my dessert first. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Maria and Tova. Maria, the, the initiative is just... Uh, Incredible. No words. No words can describe it. I want to thank you. You were very pleasant, yes. the two of you. Yes. Thank you. Where is the book available? How can people get it? So right now it's available um, on Amazon and Barnes and many, many diff- bookstores online and, and local bookstores in the U.S. I know that it's been released in the U.K. Um, and I think they offer international shipping. I, I'm not sure, to be completely honest, about Israel. We, we might... We, I, I, It's something I, I should have probably checked before we spoke today. By the today, way, but... it's also a piece of art. The pictures are so beautiful. The yeah. pictures are absolutely... I've never seen a book that's so classy. You know, because... Yeah. because uh, uh, what's his name? Lauder. Um, uh, Lauder. Yes, Lauder is such a classy person. And he wouldn't do anything that isn't really it's really fabulous i i gave I give this book to every one of my female my daughter my two daughter in laws and they it's a gift it's not a cheap book but it's a beautiful beautiful book to have but i think I think in two thousand and twenty two women can buy this book as a present to their husbands as well. Yes, yeah. right. No, you're right. <laughs> I, I'm still, I, oh, but by the way, I gave the book 
to a man, I didn't, he bought it and I did some signing there, that he said, gorgeous guy, by the way, he, he was so beautiful. And I said, oh, who's the book for? He says, for my husband. It uh, took me a okay. <laughs> I said, good for you. He says, yeah. he says, my husband cooks, I don't. Okay. Uh, so, so uh, Maria, you were saying about where can we get the book? So, all the is it available also on a ver- on a like a Kindle and stuff like that? That uh, only, no. only hard copy now. Yes. Oh, okay. My book too. Get this on Kindle. Yes. That's on Kindle. <laughs> I may as well get in, right? Plug. We we will plug everything. So the uh, the daughter of Auschwitz by Tova Friedman. I, it is available also, I bet, in Amazon, Barnes & Noble, also on uh, Kindle? Also on, ki- on Kindle? Yeah. Yes. And, and, and guys, the, uh, the, uh, yes, the Rosh Hashanah is uh, be, beyond, behind us, but Hanukkah is upon us. Mm-hmm. There's always a Jewish holiday around the corner. Yes. The corner. Yes. It is so a good gift. Oh, there's some wonderful, wonderful latkes here. They were made by Ali Wiesel. Ali Wiesel's latkes. Uh, wow! It's worth it's worth getting the book just to eat those latkes and thinking of him, because he was the icon. I mean, he was a genius on that. So it's 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 really great. So honey cake and latkes recipes from the old world by the Auschwitz Birkenau survivors. Guys, check it out on Amazon anywhere. Basically, online shops. You can find a copy, hard copy, and hard the daughter copy. of Auschwitz. And the daughter of Auschwitz, yeah. Uh, and the, the, and the, Maria, the earnings from the book goes to the initiative, to your initiative. I, I, to the I, foundation. I, all of the, all of the uh, money from the sales of the book go back to the foundation. Um, we work on Holocaust education. We do survivors outreach, fl- birthday flowers, etc. for survivors. And we also support... Um, some uh, preservation in- initiatives at the Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum in Poland. So there's sort of three pillars of what we do. Amazing. Guys, Incredible. thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. This Incredible whole interne- story. Yeah. International <laughs> operation. I'm going to stop recording, but let's stay a minute more after the recording. Okay, so let's say goodbye to the audience. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye.